Good morning, Hope Church, Ipswich. A real pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Morris Nightingale, one of the elders uh, at the church here, and uh, it's my privilege to crack on with our series uh, through the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to be uh, be helpful, actually, if you have a Bible, whether uh, do you remember those ones that were printed on paper or electronic Bible, whatever? If you have it in front of you, because we're just going to be uh, moving a little uh, way backs and forwards around the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. But I'll just read our core scripture, which is from Luke 18, uh, verses 1 to 8. So if you can find that in your Bibles, <clears throat> it says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is quite an unusual parable in the Bible because it actually explains itself at the beginning and that doesn't very often happen with the parables of Jesus and the explanation of the parable even before Jesus uh, speaks it out is that we should always pray and not lose heart Um, so that could be a very short sermon that's the explanation of the parable but my message today concerns about what exactly is it that Jesus is urging us to pray for and not lose heart? So if we read the parable at face value, it's very straightforward. Here is an oppressed widow and the unrighteous judge. She is constantly bothering the judge for justice. He gives her justice on account of her persistence. And Jesus is saying, how much more so will our righteous God give us justice? And this should encourage us to always pray and not lose heart. So I guess the first question to ourself is, am I always praying and not losing heart? And if I am, if we are, and I very much hope we are, what exactly are we praying about? And what intrigues me about this parable is exactly this question. What is it that Jesus wants us to pray about and not lose heart? So to properly understand this parable, we have to read it in the context of what comes before and after, which is why I said, if you could grab your Bibles, you might find it helpful. So we have to go back to the beginning of the section that Tom preached from last week in Luke 17 and verse 20. And it starts with this statement, being, so Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. This is the context for much of what will come next. And we know this because of the way that Luke links the following passages. So, when will the kingdom of God come? And uh, Luke 17, verse 22, And he said to his disciples, 
And then from verse 22 to the end of, of chapter 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the coming kingdom of God. This is context for us. Immediately following on in Luke 18 and verse 1, which you know, we know we, we have sort of um, referenced the Bible with chapter headings and verses to help us find it easy uh, to find a particular text, but we know this would have been a seamless text in its original format. So it would have followed, Luke 18, verse 1, would have followed on seamlessly. And we see the same sentence construct again. Luke 18, verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then at the end of this parable, in Luke 18, verse 9, we read another parable where it says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then finally, from verse 15 to 17 of Luke chapter 18, there is a a recollection how Jesus says, unless we receive the kingdom of God like a child, we shall not enter it. So if if you've got your Bibles there, from Luke 17 verse 20, from where Tom started last week, the Pharisees saying, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Right the way through to Luke 18 and verse 17, where Jesus speaks about receiving the kingdom of God like a child, all these texts belong to each other. They interpret each other and they help us to understand what is Jesus teaching us here? What What is he asking us about here? Why is this important? It is very important that we recognise that whenever we read the Bible, we always bring a set of spectacles to the Bible. We bring a a preconditioned worldview and we read the Bible through those lenses, if you like. We are the product of our upbringing and our experiences, particularly we're products of the culture that we grow up in, the worldview that we're presented with every day by the world, by our flesh, by the media, by the social media that we choose to consume, by the people we spend time with, whether it's in person or electronically. You know, we, are, we are day by day looking to become more and more kingdom-minded, but we're, we're extricating ourselves from a cultural worldview, and we're steeped in that worldview. And we need to be mindful that we will read the Bible through the lens of that worldview. And the religious church in every age has tended to reflect the culture in which it exists. I could give you many examples. I'll give you a few. The age of enlightenment in the 17th and 18th century. It was the age of reason. It was when we had all the scientific breakthroughs. It was when people were prepared to now think for themselves. They had the liberty to start to think for themselves and and not be in awe and fear of the institutions of of the church and of a, a, a dominant king or whatever. And we were now able to explain everything through science. And we didn't need God so much anymore. And this was exactly when liberal theology started to take root and to grow and emerge. Liberal theology, uh, you know, there are three basic uh, theological ultimates. There's, there's, the, there's liberal theology, which says, ultimately, our reason will enable us to interpret events. And so our reason becomes the final authority in matters of faith. That's the age of enlightenment, saying, hey, we have our reason now. We're, it's almost like we, we can reason our way out of God. And then you have the Catholic small c, which is the church has the final authority in matters of faith. And so everything comes under, what does the church think about this? And then obviously evangelical, 
which is the Bible. That's where we stand. The Bible has final authority in matters of faith. But in the age of enlightenment, we saw liberal theology. They, they were just following on their culture, looking at what the culture was saying. In the age of colonialism, when some nations were able to dominate other nations and impose their culture upon them, we had the great age of missionary movements with all the best intentions, but often did likewise in just imposing their own cultural religion on other cultures. And we're still trying to undo that today. What about Pentecostalism and the prosperity gospel and the American dream? The American dream obsesses with the opportunity for prosperity and success and upward social mobility. And lo, a whole movement of the church obsesses with the same things and reads the Bible through these lenses. And here in this passage that we were seeing last week that Tom was so helpfully unpacking for us the Pharisees were doing exactly the same thing so in verse 20 of chapter 17 the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming they're asking this question through the lens of their cultural expectations what they meant was when will the Messiah come and overthrow our enemies and establish the throne of David and restore Israel to her rightful place and bring peace and justice and righteousness to the world through military domination and, uh, and Jesus, obviously, as Tom so helpfully helped us see last week, says, that, you know, no, you've missed it. You've really missed it. <laughs> the kingdom of God is here among you, and I'm the king. And those who adhere, you know, are my, my adherents are part of my kingdom. This is, you're, you're looking at this through your lenses of cultural expectation. So the question is, what is our cultural lens through which we read this parable about the persistent widow. Where, do we, where does our mind immediately go as we read about this persistent widow, saying, give me justice, give me justice, and oh, I'll give you justice. Well, I'm going to suggest, okay, you're free to think uh, however you want on this, uh, but I would suggest our cultural worldview in 21st century Britain is very much conditioned by individualism, uh, narcissism, a cult of celebrity, and fame, look at me, it's all about me, look at where I am, take my selfie, look at who I'm with, all my beautiful friends, look at how many likes I've got on my social media page. You know, Steph Liston calls this the kingdom of sovereign self. Now, arguably, all of fallen mankind is obsessed and consumed with self. But it seems our culture is making this an art form. It's all about me. It's about my dreams, my rights, my blessings. Come on, God. You know, it's me, the sovereign self. I was hearing Steph speaking about this. He said, the kingdom of sovereign self thrives with weak, vague reading of scripture and it allows the flesh to coexist with the spirit if your prayers always end with you it's not of the spirit the end is not you the end is not me the end is always to the praise of his glory so Luke 9.23 says he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, crucify yourself daily, 
living sacrifices day by day, climbing back on the altar. It's not about me. I'm going to kill myself. I'm dead to self. It's not about me. There's no room for self-importance in the kingdom of God. We die to self, we deny ourselves. So when we read this parable about the persistent widow, how do we pray? I would suggest this, because I've done it myself, because we are unwittingly steeped in this individualistic worldview, and because this parable is framed as an individual widow pleading her case, most often we would read this as an encouragement to pray for ourselves. Yep. My justice, my well-being, my healing, my prosperity, my cause. I think that's naturally where I think if we just read that parable as it stands, that's where I think it would go. I think if we were with Jesus at the time and, and were part of that narrative when he's sort of hearing this question from the Pharisees about the kingdom of God and then explaining to his disciples about the kingdom of God and then saying, right, here's a parable so you don't give, lose heart and give up praying, I think we would understand the flow. But because we read it standing alone and steeped in our individualistic worldview, we immediately think, oh, this is about praying for justice for me, you know. Um, now, look, I, I, I want you to understand, we should entirely pray for these things. Tom was leading us in these prayers earlier. We should entirely pray for our healing and our well-being and for God to uh, care for us and, and bless us. Please, don't misunderstand me. A dear older lady came to me heartbroken because she prayed daily for her son, to turn to God. And he was going further and further away from God as she was losing heart. And I said, dear mother, until your dying breath, pray for your son. You know, never stop praying. You don't know when or how those prayers are going to be answered. Never give up praying. If, you know, if you're losing faith for your son and don't lose faith for your son, pray for your son's children and their children's children that they would find faith. Never give up praying. Some of you might remember uh, Frank Gamble, a dear brother struck down by a muscle-wasting disease, was wheelchair-bound for most of his adult life. But this did not stop. He planted our church down in Berriston Edmonds. It didn't stop him, although he could barely move. He would pray every day for his healing, and he believed that he would get out of his wheelchair and walk again, and he was never healed in this life. And he's now in glory with his Father in heaven. But he used to say, look, if you think I'm being unrealistic about believing God that I will walk again and foolish in praying for this every day. He said, remember this, he said, as I am now standing there in my resurrected body, enjoying every spiritual blessing in the presence of God and enjoying the companionship of my friend and saviour Jesus, you can say to yourself, well, poor old Frank got that one wrong. I'll let you think about that for a moment. It's always good to pray for these things. I'm not, but this parable is not about that. This parable is not about me or you. That's not what this parable is about. It's about the justice, excuse me, and the mercy of the kingdom of God. It is not about God answering my prayers, fulfilling my dreams, or granting me my blessing, or my healing, or my prosperity. This is clear from the parable that comes after. I don't want to steal the thunder, whoever's preaching the parable in Luke 18 that comes afterwards in verse 9 to 14. We'll hear about that soon in more detail, I'm sure. But in, in verse 14, Jesus said, anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not about me. 
That's not what this is about. Brothers and sisters, this parable is urging us to pray for the mercy and justice of the coming kingdom of God and never to lose heart, however things might appear out there. You know, a generation, we were singing it earlier, I was thrilled, you know, that a generation would rise up with selfless faith. It's not about sovereign self, it's not about me. I'm rising above that, I'm going beyond that now. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here for me, me, me. I'm here to see the justice of the kingdom of God come to my broken, bankrupt culture. That's why I'm here. I'm an ambassador of the king. I'm a herald of the gospel. It's not about me. This parable is not about me. Our culture is broken. Western culture is abandoning godly ways. In my lifetime, we've seen society... Government, legislation, social philosophy decisively untether itself from godly ethics and biblical morality. Very intentionally. It's not even a drift. It's not, not even the old frog, you know, in the water as it warms up and doesn't realise he's boiling to death. No, they'd be very intentional, very decisive. We are going to absolutely untether ourselves from centuries of biblical morality and ethics. And we're now just going to do whatever seems right in our own eyes. Whatever the consensus is now, whatever's okay with you, equal rights for everybody. You know, it's whatever's right for you. Do, you know, where's the boundaries? Where are the lines going to get drawn? In our, we must pray for our nation and pray for our culture and say, kingdom of God, come. Come, have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us. And my appeal to us today is to rise above the cult of individualism, abandon the kingdom of sovereign self. It is appropriate for us to lament for our culture and always pray for the mercy and the justice of the kingdom of God to come to our land and to never give up. And Jesus is urging us to do this. He said, pray. I long for this. I long for this. Pray for the poor. Pray against injustice. Pray against ungodly arrogance. Have mercy, Lord. Give us justice. Give us mercy. Let your kingdom come. I just want to appeal to, I want to appeal to hearts today. Um, when you're preaching like this, you're always praying, God, you know, I want to help people. I want people to, you know, I, I, just, I, I felt God say, preach for one heart today. You know, I'm preaching for one heart today. This is good news, okay? The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is here. And if you have turned away from God, if you've rebelled against God, if you're indulging yourself in the kingdom of sovereign self. Turn back to him. This world is bankrupt. This world has got nothing. It offers nothing to us. Turn back to him like a child. You know, we put our hands in the hand of Jesus in trust. Say, I trust you, Jesus. I don't trust myself anymore. I don't trust this world. You know, the kingdom of God is for people who can put their trust in Jesus like a child. It's not going to behave like children, but simple trust. 
You know, Jesus, you're the king. You're the one that has made a way for me. You're the one who's going to get me out of here. You know, I turn away from my selfish, rebellious ways. And I turn to you, Jesus. I put my hand in your hand. Lead me on. And I felt God said, I want you to appeal to another heart. Some of us, among us here, been pursuing God, you know, looking to we'll consider ourselves to be a follower of Jesus. And I just feel God would say, stop pursuing the ordinary things of this world. There's something striking about the examples that uh, Jesus gives about judgment back in Luke 17 that Tom was preaching about, about Noah and about Lot, saying, hey, people are just going about their ordinary daily business, waking, sleeping, planting, building, eating, drinking, and then the judgment came. There's something seductive about an ordinary life, just pursuing, you know, you know I'm just going to pursue my career, see if I can make more money, get a bigger house, uh, you know, I need a nicer car, you know. And we're not here for ourselves. We need to rise above that. And I just feel I want to make a call to one heart here today to say, look, don't settle for the ordinary. God has got extraordinary things. He's got extraordinary things for those that will pursue him and say, I'm going to seek first his kingdom. I'm not going to seek first my kingdom, the kingdom of sovereign self. I'm going to abandon that now. I'm going to pursue the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to pursue the kingdom of God. I'm going to throw everything I've got into this. I'm going to put my whole life into this. I am all in. My family, my, my, my prospects. You know, what sort of reputation do we want? Do we just want a reputation of, uh, you know, we had a nice house. You did well in business. There's nothing wrong with those things. You don't mishear me. But that's not the sort of reputation that we check. We're saying, no, we want, we, want to do, we want to spend ourselves on the kingdom of heaven. You know, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth, it says in verse 8. Where, where, is he going to find that? Is he going to come back and find that we are faithfully, you know, without losing heart, seeking to establish the kingdom of God here? That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's what I am pouring my life into. I'm pursuing him. I'm pursuing his kingdom. I put the kingdom of sovereign self behind me now, and I'm pursuing the kingdom of God. So I just want to make an appeal to us today as I bring things to a close. This parable is, uh, can easily be read that this is... Uh, encouragement to us to keep praying for those things in our lives that we're wishing that God will answer our prayers. Well, I'm not saying that, that, that we shouldn't do that at all. I'm not saying that at all, but that's not what this parable is about. This parable is about praying for the kingdom of God to come. And don't stop praying about that and never lose heart. We rise above our, just our individual circumstances and needs. We present those to God, but then, then they're not primary for us. They're secondary for us. What's primary for us is we're saying... The spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here. Let it be done in our godless, broken culture, which has turned its back on you. It has gone away far from you. Have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on our nation. Keep praying and do not lose heart, said Jesus. Will not our Father in heaven hear our cry and have mercy? We're saying, please, God, have mercy on our culture. 
Have mercy on our government. We pray for them. Have mercy on all those who serve us in challenging times this past year. But we say, have mercy on us that we have turned away from you into our own foolish ways and think we know better than God. Forgive us for that, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Have mercy on our culture. That is why we are here. We're not here just to work out our cause. We are here to serve the cause of Christ in seeing his kingdom come. You know, as Tom says, I do believe that the world is in trouble. You know, Peter says it's going from bad to worse. But the light of Christ rises on us. And I believe the authentic uh, church of Christ will burn ever brighter in the midst of an ever darkening world. And so we're here saying, come, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Come and follow our King Jesus. Taste and see how good he is. Come and be with him. Come and see him deliver you from this place. Come and see him deliver him from yourself. So I just want us to finish. We've got a, a song to play on a video. Uh, we well known to some of you. Um, uh, it's a prayer. It's a, a prayer of worship. Let's just listen to this song and just say, Lord Jesus, uh, this is our prayer today, that you have mercy on our nation, that you'd stir the church. Lord, that any who are among us here today who are far from you, that they would just hear the cry of the Father saying, turn back to me, turn back to me. Put your hand of trust in the hand of Jesus. And that you would stir your church, Lord, that we would rise above the, the cultural worldview of our day. And we're not going to be obsessed with self. Like uh, We're going to be obsessed with the kingdom of God and say, Lord, this is why we're here. We're going to pray for this. And we're going to ask you to bring this in our day. We're not going to be consumed with the things that consume this world. The things of this world will grow strangely dim. And we're going to be consumed with the things of the kingdom. And that is why we're here. And that is why we're getting this big building in the middle of this town. And we're saying, the hope of the kingdom is near. Come, come to Jesus.